Welcome to the Always Already podcast. You're here today with Emily. And John, and a very special guest, maybe her third, maybe fourth time on the Always Already podcast, Amy Schiller. Welcome back. Special hyper friend of the podcast. So honored to be here. So honored to be here again. So Emily, or Emily, what context have we had Amy on the podcast before? Or Amy, we could just ask Amy. Mm, interesting. Yes, I definitely know the answer to that question. <laughs> but I'll let Amy answer it. I, I, was, I believe that I was like an OG guest on the Always Already podcast. I believe I'm on episode four. Um, talking about philanthropy because I just at that point published an article in the Atlantic around the um, sort of marketization of philanthropy, which surprise is still something I'm thinking about and writing about and doing because it's my entire project. Um, And then I was on um, like, you know, about a year or so later, probably to talk about Arigari. Mm. Yeah, with you, John, which was a, 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 uh, I was going to say a singular delight until I realized that, that would be, <laughs> be incorrect, incorrect, but it was definitely a plural delight. That's <laughs> that a phrase. <laughs> <laughs> plural delight. I love multiples. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> We're off to a great start. I love this. And this is, uh, you know, it's been a while, like podcasts happen infrequently now on the AAP, so like we just have to you just have to follow us where we're at. Lean in. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. It's more like lean over. Yeah. Emily and I are both <laughs> exhausted with wine glasses in our hands. Over. Lean over. <laughs> Alright, friends, so what are we leaning over into for today's episode? We're leaning into feminism, labor, and digital media. The Digital Housewife by Kylie Jarrett. All right. Uh, so and the backdrop for that is my cat playing with a box of something. <laughs> <laughs> he needs music. <laughs> and we should point out that cats and the internet are highly relevant to this text. Uh, Ripley is currently sitting on top of a bookshelf next to a picture of George Washington that has sunglasses and a really big, like, gold chain around his neck. It's, it it's a meme waiting to happen, guys. Yeah. Okay. So how let's how we should maybe say how we got into this text and like why we're reading it. Um, Interesting. You want to stay on topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, until like you email me a picture while we're talking of a Ripley meme, I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Rachel, Emily, and I are writing a paper, are writing an article about Silicon Valley. Amy and I are writing a paper about Alexa, the Amazon digital housewife, if you will. Um, And so Amy and I came across this book and we were like, we have to engage with this text. It's highly relevant. Um, It's necessary. We brought Emily in. And of course, perhaps the most important aspect before we actually got into the text to see how good it was, is that the chapter titles are, I feel totally safe saying this, literally the best chapter titles of any academic book that will ever exist. Yes. 
Yeah, okay. Uh, you sound skeptical. Amy's singing forward to her own academic t- book chapter. I was. I was. I, was I like, knew you I were. I was like, way to foreclose some other possibilities, John. Look, do they, I mean. As yet written. Let's, as yet written. Let's, let's also be clear. <laughs> I knew that's what your pause was. <laughs> okay, let's, I'm. Let's also be clear that, like, as, as a cohort, um, though I am but a guest on the always already podcast, but I'm certainly like strongly affiliated with the two of you and the other hosts, you know, socially and colleagues. I was just going to say with with the the brand. brand. Wow. Yeah. Woof. I feel really psychically attached. (laughs) We are a particularly meme conscious and like internet speak conscious you know, group, no more or less so probably than any graduate student in (laughs) Zing. (laughs) But like no more. Okay, she doesn't listen to the podcast either. <laughs> no, no more or less so than any like graduate student in 2018, probably because right. there's like whole this whole proliferation of you know juxtaposition, high you know pop culture and academia, academic coach Taylor on Tumblr, the gifts <laughs> about getting your dissertation and how much it sucks, blah blah blah. But like John, as the creator of Doge Leviathan. <laughs> Perhaps the greatest of academic mashup memes. And also, I'm going to plug myself as the creator of Beyond Seder. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Hashtag cross-brand. Crossover brand Cross-promo. Cross cross Hashtag brand. brand synergy. Yeah, oh, yeah. brand synergy. Oh, yeah, that was a theory for turntables. And as, and as the... As the um, conceivers of the as-yet-to-be-realized eternal return, (laughs) both as a concept and as a product. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Eternal return being initially thought of as the academic BuzzFeed and also now potentially a, like, podcast syndicating network. Um, something like that. Something like that. You know, we very much swim in these waters of, like, this sort of playful integration and juxtaposition. So I, I certainly share in the delight of in at reading these titles of just like, OMG, this is our person. All of which is to say that when uh, we came across a book mm-hmm. with chapter titles such as Sexts from Marxists and Other Stories from Digital Media Social Factory or My Marxist Feminist Dialectic Brings All the Boys to the Yard, a feminist critique of the social factory. Uh, this like this text, before we had read a word of it, uh, kind of became an, an, an idol of, of the Always Already podcast. Um, I, personally, my favorite is I Can Has False Consciousness. Mine too. It's so good. It's, it's just genius. <laughs> also, it's I had a little, like, sort of fangirl moment because I, of course, remember that meme. Yeah, I know, right? And I, I was like, I'm reading about the genesis of that meme right now. I totally had that had that same kind of, you know, I mean, to, like, use the language of the text, like, that was a huge moment of, like, affective resonance that, like, legitimated yeah, totally. my participation Existence. in, like, these <laughs> circulations and comments. Yeah. And so just to be clear... The, Professor Jarrett, if you you are following us now on Twitter, if you yes. should you listen to this episode, um, you know, please know that like we'd be really thrilled to welcome you on the podcast as a as a guest to further to continue this discussion with us or any other way in which you'd like to engage with this discussion and with us. Because like, thank you for this book. Thank you for this book. Amen.
<laughs> and we're done. <laughs> we did it. We did it, guys. And, uh, Congrats. Yeah. So if there was a reason. There's a reason you made sure we read the subtitle, John, and it's because it's really good and really rich and important. So why don't yeah. we talk about it? So why don't we start with like just thinking at the level at which Jarrett kind of presents this notion of the digital housewife, which in the introduction plays off of like if the mechanical Turk was like the image or, you know, the metaphor for like industrialization um, and colonialism, then the digital housewife is the like early 21st century uh, sort of like image. So like just kind of initial reactions, what did you two make and do with this notion of the digital housewife? So I'll go first um, Great. and say <laughs> that um, it, I mean, so because John and I are writing this paper about Alexa, I kind of walked in with an understanding of like, I mean, really for us, I think digital housewife, I don't want to speak for you, John, but I'm pretty sure that you felt like digital housewife resonated on the level of like, ah, a like digital format of a kind of gendered labor that happens in the home. Like, yes, that's totally the direction that our work goes in and where, but it's actually, it felt not necessarily, not necessarily domestically based, but that rather the repetitive um, and affective nature of domestic labor was the modality of digital um, surplus creation, right? Like that, it felt like actually it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily directly about like housewifery and the digitization of housewifery in the same kind of like very Alexa travels a very short distance. If we use that term, it travels a farther distance, this term in this book, because it's really about like this, this more these public exchanges of affects and socialization and information and communication that like go much further than the actual boundaries of the household. Yeah, I mean the thing that about it that I found kind of most generative, and this is true of the of the book as a whole, is that like just at the level of saying we cannot think, you know, the digital, we cannot think affective and immaterial labor, we cannot think um, like Italian autonomism and kind of the way that inflects critical theory discourses about the internet or digital media or any of that. And to say that like, we cannot separate that from this notion of the housewife or of reproductive labor and particularly the Marxist feminist um, discourses around the social factory and uh, wages for housework and domestic labor and these sorts of debates in the seventies, like the kind of close connection and like uh dependency of one on the other is like both captured in those two words and also incredibly kind of relevant and poignant and potent throughout the entirety of the text yeah i uh really loved uh, so this is a sort of thing i liked about it but also a series of questions that the, it raises for me i really think it's incredibly effective as, uh, what did you frame it? You, did you frame it as a metaphor, John, or an image or something? Right. And she, I know, she, the uses the, figure. she uses figure and rhetorical device. If I remember. Correctly. Right. So like to think about how something insert, whatever kind of literary term 
to describe this sort of theoretical move, right, helps us to un- to to unpack and to see um, like real material processes of um, you know extraction and um, of labor, right? Call, to call something labor that we might not think of as labor, but at the same time, I. I, while I was totally convinced that it was useful, I was also like, wait, but am I a digital housewife also? <laughs> like, are, are, does it describe uh, the subjects that are sort of produced through or disciplined in, right? All, we hear all these echoes of different, account, of different theoretical accounts of subjects, right, um, it, throughout the book. And um, if I'm not a digital housewife or insert whoever, right, like, who is there a who, like, is there, is is the digital housewife have a subject? Like, does it have a body? I don't know. I just thought it was like really fascinating. And it raised all these, all these questions for me. The digital housewife feels much more like a statement about, um, I don't even know what to call it. Like, um, a modality. It's like, it's much more of a modality than a like singular fit. It's like the cloud. Do you know what I mean? Like we use this term, the cloud, right. That's ultimately sort mm. of like meaningless in terms of it's like materiality, except to the sake that it like involves server farms that are right. you know, material buildings and things in and of themselves. And like, presumably people who are like at the very bottom of the you know, chain of labor who like have to go clean it and make sure that it's not like that there aren't like rats shitting in it or whatever. And look, the reality (sighs) is that server farms are, um, you could argue that those are in that same marginalized invisible role as domestic laborers, Right. right? There are these like buildings that are like parked way in the middle of nowhere that like, and and that really go unacknowledged or sort of uncontextualized that are just sort of there keeping the digital infrastructure running and data infrastructure running without any sense of like presence or visibility. Right. I, yeah, that's, I know. I think that's, I think that's interesting to, I think it helps me try to imagine a way through Emily's question. And that is that like, I, I think I'm with Amy in that, the digital housewife is like a modality or we want to like think in terms of 1970s feminist theory. It's a standpoint and like a heart, like heart sock, like sense or something. Right. Um, And then that opens up the ability for there to be many subjects that perform the digital and reproductive labor that characterizes the standpoint of the digital housewife such that like, it's not just that you or I or us, when we like try to like brand and get, you know, retweets from the always already podcasts are doing this work, but, and thus we are a subject like as individuals and as a collective, but also maybe, you know, the servers are also subjects who perform this labor and thus are part of the standpoint of the, uh, of the digital housewife or the server farms or the particular human bodies that labor therein. Okay. Yes. Yeah. But also you can't help but think about, Alexa and Siri as like kind of, I don't know, sort of singular, if you want to say that each different Alexa or each, the Siri in each phone is like a different entity, right? That they're kind of like singular representations and like embodiments, but without a human body, right? But they feel like they have personality or characteristics or whatever. And like, presumably 
they might also be captured in this thing and in this concept, in this There's no question in my, I mean, there's no question in my mind that, um, there's, I mean, I I actually wonder if like digital housewifery as a praxis is what it is. I would, you know, where am I going with this? Digital housewifery in terms of that sort of repetitive, immaterial reproduction, in this case of data, affects, information, et cetera, like that's the praxis of this thing that Jared is getting at. But the digital housewife in terms of a figure, like that, that appears to us that takes some sort of material form, like in the actual Alexa or other smart home device mm-hmm. of like, okay. And now we, now, in fact, I think this is the point that John and my paper is going to, is trying to make is that now, you know, we, what was the term in our abstract? The machines are coming from inside the house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, okay. Now we actually are going to get to see that there's a certain amount of informational or data labor that happens all around us all the time that makes capitalism possible in the same vein as Jarrett's argument that these circulations are the, are the churn that like the other churn of capitalism's wheels, right. In a kind of dematerialized, you know, context. So yes, I think like, I actually think like the digital house wife, if you're looking for a singular form applies to Alexa and or other and or its equivalents. Um, am I going to say her equivalents? Right. I don't know. I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> no. um, whereas digital house whiffery as a, an ongoing process is, is Jared's topic. Right. Well, and I'm not saying that we need to figure that. I don't think that her analysis like begs that question of who, you know, who the house digital housewife is, right. That's not, it doesn't, it's not necessarily an entity or a singular thing or a subject. I just think it, it like, it's not incidental that the housewife is part of this, this device. Right. And so it, it kind of like throws it down there. It's kind of like, um, what's a good metaphors are really good things. I say, talk well, nice stuff. (laughs) Um, that she's like throwing it down as a sort of provocation. Right. And I think that these are some of the things that it, these are some of the worries that it provokes. Like what, um, I don't know. Yeah. And, but I think it's, you know, throwing down that provocation, but one that works on multiple levels, whereas as at the same time, it unfolds into this question about, are there particular digital housewives? You know, as Emily's mm-hmm. phrases, we were kind of talking before the show, you know, does the digital housewife have a body, right? right. So it, it kind of moves in that direction, but it also moves in the broader direction or, bro- or kind of broader perspective about like raising questions of, I hear Engel's cat Ripley in the background, of Marx and Marxism, of, you know, how right. do we of domestic labor of, you know, what do we do with like Hart and Negri and Lazzarato and Berardi and these kinds of, you know, and these like autonomous influence, like Marxist or post-Marxist thinkers, right? So that like the digital housewife is a standpoint or modality or device or whatever that like lends itself both to moving in the somewhat more concrete 
in specific direction and into the broader theoretical direction, which I think is kind of one of its great, uh, like one of its great merits. Also, I thought it was a funny kind of comparison um, to the Mechanical Turk because she points out, right, that the Mechanical Turk was, what is it? Not only was it an illusion, it was like a hoax, right? And so I think it kind of, the latent question of like what, what the, um, right. Cause on one hand to name the digital housewife is to do the sort of radical work of this kind of theorizing of our, of these configurations of capital. Right. But on the other hand, it's like playful and kind of irreverent in mm-hmm. a way. And so it's like, Oh, what, what sort of illusions or hoaxes does the digital housewife contain huh. within her or something? That's fascinating because like, so much of what she's trying to do is to say that it's actually like our traditional modes of thinking about the internet or like the labor we do on the internet. That is the, that are the hoaxes, right? Right. Like yeah. we only follow the Hart and Negri, Lazzarato and material labor folks. We like miss everything of that's or a lot of what's important about kind of capitalism on the internet. Um, mm-hmm. And then so that's kind of one thought. And then my other thought is that irreverence is like the, I think the perfect word for what one of the many appealing things of this book and you know, like, and like speaks to what she's trying, what I think she's trying to do in terms of acknowledging the multivalence or ambivalence of, of meme of like leftist meme culture on the internet. Right. Mm. Or like leftist meme culture uh, in this book. Right. That those aren't separate worlds and they're problematic in all of the ways that particularly in chapter five, she like walks us through, you know. So my friend and I were making an Engels cat meme on Facebook. And here are all the ways that's kind of fucked up and alienating and exploitative. And yet also there are real affective bonds that are being formed. And also like that is both totally captured by and in excess to capital. Right. So the kind of the, the irreverence of it is, I think, in some ways, like central to the project, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, without a doubt. I had something spotlighted that I wanted to bring up. Um, I mean, I will say this, like, and I know that I'm speaking to people who, like, also promote things on the internet. I will say just in the very, like, te- you know, concrete, you know, world of work, um, first of all, I have seen social media, like people who specialize in like social media marketing go from being like the afterthought of a marketing team where they're like, Oh, LOL. All you do is post to Facebook all day. Like it must be so fun to being like the number one, like front people for various companies as if everybody realizes that like the way to reach people is through precisely the ability to manipulate the affective currents um, that are sort of, that are centralized sort of a lot, you know, in our Facebook, Twitter, Insta, whatever, like that is now how that is the primary means of capitalism, not some sort of like afterthought. And speaking as somebody who did have to promote her brand and still has to promote her brand of Beyond Seder, you can follow us at Beyond Seder on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> uh, like that it actually was quite a bit of cognitive labor 
time labor. Like it was, it was the furthest thing from frivolity to actually have to like conceive of the content, create the content, queue up the content, schedule it, monitor responses. Like it, it was, you would have thought it was like the fucking situation room. Like it was mm-hmm. just, it's like an insane amount of effort expended that we erase when we're like, Oh, I'm just fucking around the internet, you know, like, Oh, I'm just messing around on social media. And what I love is the validation that Jared points out where it's like, first of all, you might be fucking around to you, but it's definitely generating value for somebody else. And wow. also, it's late like it is labor it is not leisure well it's but it's to use an emily crandallism it's not not leisure <laughs> i love that the double negative has been rendered in emily crandallism i'm if that's my only contribution well to you the don't world, hate it <laughs> i don't hate it no i actually love it in this case the double negative is not accurate it does not capture the depth of my love it's, for that. It's, it's not so much like the double negative in general <laughs> as it is like your particular not not which i like will will try to recapture endlessly in my day-to-day life and will never have the the, like inflection and like cutting bite to it than Emily Crandall not not have that will have. Um, wait, can I just say really quickly in the, the that was a really um, you said a lot there, Amy, about yes. the digital housewife and the labor labor of yeah, yeah. the internet. But I was thinking, so I think you framed it like I I don't remember if it was that the digital. Uh, that the engagements or the whatever's who's doing the thing on the internet captures the affect. What phrase did you use? Exploit maybe, or, or generates or I know, or I think I, I, what I meant point is that it's all of those, right? Right. What but I meant was also, like takes advantage of them or manipulates right, right, them. Right. Manipulates manipulates them. them. That was but isn't the word. it also kind of, I thought part of what she was up to here was to say that it, in some cases, right, the affects are being manipulated for the extraction of surplus value for others or for the oneself, right? But it's also that, like, that the aff- that the affects as sort of, sort of like pre, um, what's the phrase she uses? Well, there's like, yeah, I was, uh, this is, I think, really important, right? She like does the Masumi or like brings in Masumi and is like, there's kind of the, the initial affect, right, that, is ineffable and not immediately capturable. It's then only like the actualization of that in a click or a like or a comment right. or whatever that is captured, right? So it's like the secondary or the residue of the affect mm. that like is actually captured and brought into these capitalist networks of circulation. And thus for her, that's why the affective like resonances and affective circulations are 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 always already, if you will, in excess of the capitalist relation. We will. Is this, um, we will, (laughs) is this what, where the sort of radical bit comes in or are we not, are the pre wait, before we get to that question, I'm feeling really compelled to just like, at least give a bit of the actual text for people who are listening. Um, so I have, I mean, there actually aren't page numbers on this PDF that I have, but I'm on what, is page 73 of 182 um, at the very bottom. I believe this is so we're in, in chapter, chapter two. Chapter two. Yeah. Um, so the digital housewife thus bears the very particular relationship to capitalism as domestic workers. 
for she slash he generates products that contribute economic value by providing free content and user data. She, he also works within the social factory, generating immaterial products that can be associated with inalienable use values, but which may nevertheless be integral to the reproduction of capital. Scene. That I, I feel like that I just feel like it's important to sort of understand like her she actually does state quite clearly what the thesis is about the digital housewife as a modality of a relationship and what they do and for whom. And does so in like on the terrain of debates within Marxism and Marxist feminism, right? Like she's engaged in Indeed, she over, does. you know, is the reproductive labor of domestic work like is that productive or non-productive, right? Does that generate surplus value or not generate surplus value, right? What's the right. valuation of that within capital, right? She has a clear stance that's kind of along the like wages for housework sort of perspective in yes. these debates. Yes. Um, yes. Right? So it's like, it's both that the thesis and the idea are really clear and there's this irreverence, but it's also like a deep engagement with central questions that like were never resolved in the domestic labor debates. Yes, yes, completely. I'm so sorry. I'm laughing in the background. Ridley just left onto Amy's computer and just kind of like sat there just for a fully minute. took up residence on the keyboard <laughs> as I was very intently listening to your excellent recap, John. <laughs> Where do we go from here? Well, I mean... Maybe before we go to like the resistance, resistant politics question, I don't know. I mean, one thing that I really appreciated about this book is that like she didn't do the easy critique of saying, well, the autonomists like never talk about gender, period. Right. It's the, what, you know, is, like yeah. the th you know, the thing yeah. that like, if I could get my undergrads to do more than that, it would like be a miracle. Um, right. But it was the, and by turning to Marxist feminist literature, we we understand consumer digital labor in like this incredibly important, like complex, deep way that we would not be able to reach without right. the perspective that Marxist feminism gives us. And thus, like, we just miss so much by, by right. not making the engagement with Marxist feminism. No, she plays, I think she plays a fantastic, pays fantastic homage to Federici, Della Costa, that entire generation, and like really shows the value that they bring and how central now their analysis is now that so much labor is dematerialized. I also just want to point out as a non sequitur that I was scrolling through what I believe is chapter three or maybe further on, I'm on page 135 and there is a subtitle or there's a subhead that says Marx is not the only fruit. <laughs> I just like, I, my hands are making a namaste and I am bowing deeply to Marx is not the only fruit. Like, oh my God, Kylie Jarrett, please be our friend. Is that the emojis? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I think so. See, now we have, now we've added a whole other layer of <laughs> digital affective labor to this whole thing. Oh, well, the other speak. the other obvious thing, of course, is the John the argument that like in the in in the moment of Cambridge Analytica, the idea that like we are all just like being constantly exploited 
right? That it's, that's only read along that one vector of like, all we are, are these kind of like duped producers of, of data for Mm -hmm. the exploitation by marketing firms and by political campaigns. And like, there's nothing like, you know, it's all very matrixy, you know, like take, you take the red pill or the blue pill, like, oh my God, the internet's just, you know, uh, a factory harvesting our souls. And like, yeah, maybe, but she also does, does the other side well enough to say like, well, what else does it offer? Yeah. Well, and to, I think, talk about desire and pleasure as, as like, you know, foregrounding some of those, those moments, right. Or moment isn't the right word. Um, events events uh-huh. <laughs> so many jokes to be made um is an important important piece of it too i was just thinking that do you do you think there's something kind of like i think i have a cat hair in my mouth sorry um something kind of cute about so one of the things when you were sort of cashing out the um stakes of the project in that way john i was thinking about is um that sort of rendering digital labor as domestic work um, sort of makes it gender neutral in a really interesting way, but not, I think, apolitically, or if that's the right right word, but makes it, renders it like um, exploitation for everyone, not exploitation of women or feminized Mm. subjects or, um, people doing, um, you know, typically female forms of labor, right. It like makes everyone who engages in the digital sphere exploited in their, in their domestic work. So I I don't know. This is not a fully formed thought, but do you know what I mean? I do. I think I would maybe frame it differently. And like, admittedly, I had a, I was like somewhat less able to kind of track this part of the argument throughout the text. But like, I would think of it, I thought of it in terms of Jarrett's trying to think through the way that, uh, any, somebody with any gender identity or embodiment can do this work of the digital housewife if the digital housewife is like an actual subject position um, and does this re- this labor that is also feminized regardless of their gender identity or embodiment because it is structurally analogous or similar to domestic labor and reproductive labor and social reproduction that has historically been associated with women through kind of patriarchal capitalist divisions of labor. That's yeah, how totally. I would, that's how like I was like trying to reconstruct it in, in, in my words while you were kind of talking about it. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. But I think that's kind of clever, right? Because it, it then it's sort of not sidesteps, but like, <clears throat> um, doesn't even entertain the the question of biology right yeah which is like something that that was of was of debate you know between in the various uh threads of marxist tradition right that's a great point and so in some ways thus like extends the radical potential of the wages for housework position and analysis yes exactly 
<clears throat> wages for digital labor. Yeah. <laughs> can you can you guys expand on that a little bit? I just I I didn't quite follow you there. I mean, I guess my thought of it is that like what it demonstrates or what her kind of reworking of the framework of uh, Federici and Della Costa and James and kind of the Italian autonomous Marxist feminists, right, does is to point out Ooh, that, they, <laughs> <laughs> that they give <clears throat> us an argument that is about gender. Yes, but it's about kind of broader structural relations right. of capital and work and right. labor in society and reproduction and right. that it's easy if I'm understanding what Emily just said, if I'm understanding you, Emily, that like it's easy for us to get bogged down in like debates about like sex versus gender or who precisely is and is not doing this exact precise work. Does that map 100 percent on to gender? But rather like it's a wages for housework as radical standpoint rather than as necessarily only about one particular kind of body. Yeah. Right. Like we don't have to say, we don't have to have conversations about whether like the people who do affective digital labor are doing it because they love the internet or something, right? Like everybody does it without knowing that they're doing it. There's a, there's a very funny, like not yet. I mean, who knows how long is something even funny? Um, but, um, there's, there's this sort of Twitter trope going around now where people will post, you know, repost somebody saying something particularly like stupid or egregious on Twitter. And they'll say, how is this website free? Yeah. Or like, can you believe this website is free? Right. And it's like, actually, bro, I can't. <laughs> like, I don't believe that this website is free. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's so... I mean, it's so important to like recognize that, which is a stupid and banal thing to say, but you know, like Jarrett walks through in like close detail, the argument of how exactly our surplus value is being extracted and how we're being alienated from the process of our labor. But then of course, to go back to something else we've talked about a couple of times, she doesn't just stop there, but says, and also there are all these other things that all of this labor is doing so that it is both captured by and in excess of capital. Yeah. Right. So that Twitter, like, yes, I both can and cannot believe that it is free. <laughs> right. Know? And like, and it's it it has a salvic function as well, which doesn't make it uncapitalist. It just means it has a different role in capitalism, you know. Wait, say more. I mean, don't am I the only one who finds it sort of like hypnotically soothing to oh, scroll? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, through different platforms of social media. That's a great point because the scrolling is not just the like. It's not the reading, it's the physical scroll. It's like a, like a, yeah, like a meditative yeah. physical process yeah. that is also accompanied with yeah. this like sense of having stepped into a world where there are like people all around you doing right. things that you're watching. And they're constantly refreshing new things for you to consume. It's like, we're all each other's digital housewives, like, Oh, a new shirt. Oh, a new tweet. Oh, a new this. Oh, you know, like, Oh yeah. good. Here's like a, fre a, a fresh drawer of clothes. Here's a fresh cabinet of dishes. Here's a fresh batch of tweets and links that I can read. 
Right. While also reproducing a certain kind of like familiarity, like whether it's, you know, the familiarity of the domestic realm or the familiarity of, okay, like here's the latest like iteration of, you know, guy with his girlfriend looking at another woman meme. Right. Right. And by the way, these things, you know, the joke around like, can you believe this website is free is like people do this stuff and they offer it for no material compensation until the moment when they like go viral enough to get, I don't know, picked up for a comedy special or a job writing for a TV show, which has happened to people I know. Um, but nevertheless, like, all right, so people offer this for free and therefore it has this image of sort of like as 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 housewifery sometimes seems of like, I'm doing this because I love to like care for you or because I love to like make you smile or make you laugh. It's as if like people are offering these to me as if like, here, Amy, like I want to make you, mm-hmm. you know, I want to like, I want to just, I want to just give this gift, this to you, which is another theme in this book that we didn't, right. that we didn't read or cover, but it has that same sense of like, well, it can't be labor because people are just like offering it. But there's also the understanding that there, there, there is the, the success story, right. Of the person who did that and got picked up and got the, landed the job, landed the special landed yeah. the whatever. Yeah. And so there is like, both are understood simultaneously. It's simultaneously understood that like, this is something you did for free and you're, you know, nurturing mm-hmm. the need for humor or art in mm-hmm. dark times or something. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you are a brand and you, your brand mm. made this content and this yeah. content can be, you know, um, operationalized for like yeah. future content, future sponsorship, future brand, right? It's all yes, yes, one. yes. Yeah, and to add another simultaneous simultaneity on top of that, it's also simultaneously, <laughs> yes. you know, to- entirely structured by capital and its exploitative reach over all of us in a classical technical Marxist sense. And much like you know, some strands of kind of the, dom- the domestic labor debates recognize, like it is also possible. To genuine is maybe not the word, but like to gain affective pleasure, right? right. Out of, mm-hmm. you know, like caring for one's partner or child, right? Or to yeah. like, you know, have the, have the tweet that like goes viral, right? Like there yeah. may be some kind of, uh, of like, not entirely determined or not entirely uh, structured like or constituted. By uh, you know exactly exactly that's the yeah. perfect always already podcast. What yeah. was it when Sarah Ahmed retweet, retweets the always already podcast? Oh, it, did that happen? Uh, oh, twice. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, that happened. Um, yeah. Okay. Also, I would be really interested to hear Jarrett talk about um, like how the digital housewife as whatever concept, figure, metaphor. Um like helps us think through the kind of like precarity of the gig economy. Yeah. She has a whole chapter on that. I think, um, I think that's chapter three, chapter three around like gift exchange. We should say that we selected chapters to read purely based on title. (laughs) You know, you pick a wine based on the bottle. (laughs) Yeah. We went straight for the book cover. We did that. Mm -hmm. Although I will say that there is a little bit about that in the conclusion. 
right? Or yeah. at least suggestive when Jared yeah. like walks through, okay, I've done this analysis where the other sites, processes, modes of labor, you know, resistances and capitalist formations that this helps us think through. Here are the other things. And a lot of that, right, is about what does it mean to be a digital laborer? So not so much maybe like the Lyft driver, but uh, right. although, I mean, the Lyft driver is another fascinating example, right? Because like, not only are you doing all of the obvious things that you're doing as a Lyft driver, right? In terms of kind of, you're making money, um, hopefully for yourself, probably not a lot of money for yourself. You're making a lot of money for Lyft. You're generating data for you. You're generating data about the passenger right? all those sorts of things. And also maybe this is more Uber than Lyft, right? Like you're also helping replace yourself as a worker because you're right. doing the work that is good. That is like in its small way, contributing to the future of driverless cars. Right. <sighs> Wow. Yeah. Also, ratings. Yeah. Now we're in Black Mirror territory. I know. I've been going there for the last 20 minutes, honestly. Um, can I just say, this is a slight detour, but the um, anecdote that opened the second chapter about the conversation with a colleague at a, in the kind of conference setting really... <laughs> was chilling to me and I felt like we can, I mean, we, can Amy, we Amy said it, it <clears throat> said it well that she's our people. <laughs> she's our people. Meaning Jarrett is yes, our people. Jarrett is our people. Right. Let's um, let's recap it real quick. Uh it's like running into a colleague on the street in the context of a conference and um Do you just want to read it? Yes, I'm trying to scroll okay, to it. Okay, so I've got it. All right. Okay, uh, thanks. I encountered a... So I, in 2007, I attended a conference. I encountered a fellow researcher at a, in a group of his doctoral students. We decided to go to dinner together. During the meal, the discussion turned to the topic of consumer labor that was increasing in prominence within the field, as well as having relevance in our respective research areas. My colleague began waxing lyrical about the importance of understanding this activity through autonomous Marxist paradigms, and particularly through the concept of immaterial labor. He then declared, this is the first time that capitalism has ever exploited this labor. I frowned my disagreement, asserting instead that capitalism has in fact always needed this labor, as it has always needed to be reproduced through immaterial labor, particularly in the realm of the domestic sphere. Despite support from a female colleague at my table, my idea was somewhat, some, summarily dismissed, much to my annoyance. Also, this, this, the next, the opening sentence of the next paragraph. I chose not to pursue the point during this social event, but as I engaged with other teaching and research projects over the following years, this conversation remained in my mind, right? That, like, that, like, this is also a, a deeply gendered feature of, like, academic labor, right? That, like, <laughs> this, this, I don't know. Someone mm. waxes lyrical. Yeah. <laughs> I make a really important point that gets dismissed. Capital it, I, capital B. Yeah, and then it <laughs> bothers me for years <laughs> until I have the, you know, time and space. Until to, I write a book to drag his ass. Yeah. yeah. And then oh, I did that. Man. Goals. Really spoke to me. Goals. And like presumably Jarrett is a thousand percent aware of like the demand that that put on her or the demand that it places on the two of you to do all of the affective labor like for me, the like cis white male at clueless academic, you know? 
Yes. Well, it's definitely you. That's the problem. So, (laughs) but okay. But then, but then we, if we're going to read back, can we also talk about, uh, talk about, uh, the way she uses, uh, my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard in the stack. We must, we must, of course. Give me a page number, please. Um, so I'm on a different, I'm reading this on the Kindle version. So, um, okay. So, in effect, and when you all find it, jump into overwhelm. I'll just I'll just search for Khalees. <laughs> in effect, this chapter fleshes out the background, the links domestic work, feminist thinkers, and digital media, and so gives legitimacy to the metaphor of the digital housewife that animates this book. The title, "My Marxist Feminist Dialectic Brings All the Boys to the Yard," is drawn from a meme I first encountered on the Facebook page of the Socialist Meme Caucus. I found it amusing for its play with the pop song by Kelly's, but also a very useful framing device for my argument. It articulates the point of this book, which is to explore the tools Marxist feminists have in their yard and what happens when we bring these to bear upon contemporary laboring practices. This chapter is shameless advocacy for this approach. It wants to bring all the boys to adopt this perspective, not merely as a model for thinking about digital media, but in order to centralize feminist ideas to debates about work more broadly. Hell yes. Yes. Shameless. She shameless said, advocacy. Shameless self-promotion. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so freaking great. P.S. Um, a, a Twitter residue, I'm going to call it that, um, that uh, also referred to Khalees was this viral tweet that somehow crossed, like mashed up milkshake and the cask of Amontillado. Um, like my milkshake brings all the boys to the catacombs and they're like, you're entombing us alive. Damn right. I'm entombing you alive. I could free you, but I'm entombing you alive. Whoa. <laughs> I have actual chills. It's just like, <laughs> look at my arm. <laughs> I can feel them. It's just like, I mean, it really does bring joy because you just love seeing people you'll never meet in real life, just total randos, be like, oh my God, like your brain just does the same crazy ass shit that my brain does. And like you, uh, wow. Yes. I, yes. So great. So yes, I really enjoyed that paragraph as well. I was thinking too, was it when we read Lazarado or Esposito? Both, but especially Lazarado in this context, I think where he made some claim about how the family has never been <laughs> like theorized as a, as a like site for capital or something insane oh like God. that. And I was and like, you're like, really? I, I was like, I can't even read this book. Like <laughs> I recognize that you're doing some analysis that is important, but like that sentence makes me want to throw the whole thing in the garbage. Like, <laughs> Oh, I wanted to say two more. Do you things. remember this, John? Was oh, it Lazarado? It was Lazarado because I very much remember this conversation that you and Sumeru and I had about the Lazarado book, where we were like in disbelief about that, whatever that particular claim was, and about all sorts of other stuff. And they were like, and we were like, feminists and post-colonial thinkers have literally been like taking up this exact question that you are posing is new for decades. Right. Yeah, we've been here. Like, are you, you're going to really Columbus this shit? Okay. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Oh yeah. And then we analyzed teenage dirtbags. Yes, we did. <laughs> I'm just a teenage dirtbag, baby. Uh, can I say two more things? I'm sorry. I don't, I, I don't know if these are Go. taking yeah, us way off track. Okay. So, um, I had two 
like mega starred highlights. One was um, a quote that she has from Mackenzie Ward, um, particularly the part where it says, what we do has finally been proletarianized. Um, and I can't, I, I just couldn't help but think that um, this is for, for a wake up call for educated people in the overdeveloped world that what we do has finally been proletarianized. Um, that um, that's very much the story of a lot of, if we're going to talk about political activism, very much the story of a lot of recent major like protests, particularly like teacher strikes, the wildcat mm, teacher mm-hmm. strikes that are happening that very much align teaching in West Virginia, they align teaching with the history of mine worker strikes yeah. um, and this kind of self-identification of a lot of different kinds of people of with doing a lot of different kinds of work as proletarian um, and kind of just dismantling a lot of the divide and conquer bourgeois, you know, class consciousness or false consciousness. And that feels to me like such an important path forward I can has. for resistance. You can has, you can has all the cheeseburgers <laughs> um, that like that, but seriously, that just feels like, yes, of course, the more we can proletarianize mm-hmm. basically everything, the more hope we have about like, the rec- like that basically means now we recognize things as labor. We resist them as labor struggles. Like let's, let's do this thing that feel that underscored for me, the importance of this whole book, like beautiful. Well, can I just, so two things, one is a small thing and one is a bigger thing to build on that, Amy. One is that like that quote from work that you read comes right after Wark. her, uh, like, a. Uh, uh, sentence critiquing Lazarado's signs and machines that like that right. Emily and Sumer right. and I uh, critiqued ourselves, you know, a couple years ago or whatever. And secondly, which that, I totally knew, uh, right? which I totally knew when I mentioned and this. Secondly <laughs> that like, but I mean, this is one of the kind of really crucial things that she does in her critique of the autonomists and other kind of related thinkers is to say that by making claims about the total novelty of this, that actually like, precisely reproduces the capitalist splitting of quote unquote productive and quote unquote unproductive work from one another. It's like an entire like reinscription and and reification of like that capitalist split that, you know, that like is, uh, that participates in the gender division of labor. Mm -hmm. Nice. Nicely done. That is a really there's a kind of like weird fetishism to it also. It's like the idea of like being the first to name this like totally new and unique form of capital or something. It's first like, yeah. <laughs> to use online tropes yet again. Yeah. Uh, you had a second thing, Amy. Yeah. My second thing was that I really want Jared to write about Bitcoin. I was thinking about that earlier. Sorry, I just yelled. What what was that, John? I was thinking about Bitcoin earlier, and we were talking about server farms, and I'm like, you know, if you're Bitcoin mining, like, are you also a digital housewife? Well, Mm. Bitcoin, from what I, when I tell you that this is, like, me really stretching, this is, like, uh, like fifty percent more than I actually get about blockchain, what I'm about to say. My understanding of blockchain is that it's, First of all, a dematerialized form of capital that is secured by some kind of like affective chain of trust manifested in different like documentations of transactions. 
of guaranteeing those transactions. Mm. I don't know if that's actually real, but I think that's what it is. So, <laughs> a tagline for the Always Already podcast, I might add. I don't know if this is- and probably for Bitcoin too, let's be honest. Also academia? Also, oh God. <laughs> yeah. Um, can I just tell you really quickly that the other day in my class, one of my students said the phrase to me, you would totally teach feminist theory of Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, Emily, you won. You won at teaching. <laughs> Thanks. You would teach feminist theory of Bitcoin. Okay, so please explain for all of us what that is, Emily. You, the fucking thing I know about feminist theories of Bitcoin. No, nothing. But I think I think we're like circling around it. I think Jarrett's got us like Anna knows seventy percent of the way there. Yeah. I would not t- not want to teach feminist theories of Bitcoin. Yeah, I'm not uninterested in teaching it. Right, <laughs> right. I don't know, man. It's a form of capital that's entirely like dematerialized and secured by like affective, but- you know, currents residued into digital form. Well, and it totally has this the the like kind of the things that are seductive about it sort of politically, right? Or that yeah. it's like not regulated. It doesn't ah, see it doesn't yeah. see like national borders and like all this stuff. And what what so what about that? I don't know. It's like um uh what's the kind of Whoa, brain. Well, so I'll jump in. And that is to say that, like... <laughs> libertarian. It's yes. libertarian. Okay, yes, there exactly. you go. Woo! Um, Help. <laughs> well, I mean, because I'm not, I'm not 100% sure that, like, Bitcoin is capital, right? To, on, like, a technical Marxist oh, definition of capital. But, like, that's, I think, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm... It's been too long since I read Marx that closely to do that analysis, nor do I know enough about Bitcoin. But... Like this has kind of been another like discussion, and this things is this is why I thought of it in terms of uh, server farms is like the environmental destruction that is wrought by Bitcoin mining, right, and kind of other mm-hmm. like similar blockchain based tasks, mm-hmm. right, and that mm-hmm. like there's also a um, there's also like a, a a climate and environment sort of perspective into digital housewifery that I want to that I'd be interested to like try to think through at some point. Yeah, I was noticing that um, a lot of the people that she cites are sort of of the eco-feminist tradition, yeah. um, which is really interesting. While we're, like, throwing in uh, things where, uh, like, it'd be interesting to see what Jared says about X, like, a new X for me is I'd be interested to think through her argument or get her thoughts on, like, how the analysis in this book helps us uh, analyze the alt-right and like certain sects of white nationalism and white supremacy as deeply Mm -hmm. steeped in like meme cultures in social media. Yeah. John is the champion of the segue. Uh, Mm -hmm. No, no, because I don't have anything, anything at all analytical or approaching smart to say about it other than like, Hmm, chin scratch emoji. This is a comment more than a question. <laughs> no, so this was a question more than a comment. It's a qu- you're right, John. Yeah. Okay, I got it. Yes. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think it's an important an important question. I 
also do not have anything smart to say about it. It's definitely circulating in affect. That we can say with confidence. Yeah. Woof. Chin scratch emoji. Man, this episode has gotten out of hand. <laughs> all right. All right, Emily, then take it back in hand. Why did this yeah. uh, book make you think so much about academia? Yes. Good oh, one, John. man. The whole time I was like, the, so many. Okay. So I should also preface this by saying that when we recently gave our paper on the sort of work ethic and animating sort of political imaginary of Silicon Valley. We had an amazing discussant who gave us just, uh, I, I don't know. I thought it was some of the most thoughtful feedback I've ever seen at a professional yes. conference. And she asked the question sort of under the umbrella of like, she framed it as um, continuity or change. And then she was like, everything you just said about Silicon Valley, I feel like applies to academia. And when I was reading this book, I was like, everything I feel like you just said about the digital housewife and like, you know, affective, uh, digital labor resonates with how I feel my own exploitation in academia. <laughs> and like, I don't also don't know that I have anything smart to say about it, but I guess one of my, one of the questions would be like, would be like, is, is, um, domestic work like a way to help uh, and the feminist Marxist feminist critiques of domestic work and analyses of domestic work, like, Oh, also a way to think about academic labor. In addition to thinking about digital labor, like is, you know, the digital housewife as domestic worker, a sort of like way that to, to think through and sort of radically challenge the sort the like economy of intellectual production and the affects that circulate in the academy, right? We're all like, every academic is a brand. We work for all these hours. We work for literally all the time, all these hours that we're not paid for, even people who are, are salaried and who aren't as precarious as an adjunct, right? Are still working literally every second of every day. Um, and the, the work that you write, your, the, pro, what you produce is like the value of that, um, and how it sort of is linked to you as a, as a person that's either successful or not successful in this economy is like really personal. I don't know. I have... And it's gendered. Yes. I have so many thoughts, but like maybe too many thoughts. So Amy, do you want to jump in? I'm, I, I'm nodding in solidarity and also find myself wondering like how much of that is, how much of that resonance is like new and contemporary with Jarrett's critique and how much of it is the continuation of the Hawkschild emotional labor diagnosis. Mm. I also think that housekeeping and housewifery and like, like the, I feel like I hear those terms in classrooms. Like I know, I mean, I don't really do this, but I feel like in other classes that I've been in, you know, every time there's an announcement about like a deadline or a, a talk on campus you should go to, or like when registration is or whatever that gets, that gets described as housekeeping. 
of like, okay, so this is the sort of administrative, secretarial, mm. you know, operational stuff that we have to do just to kind of like keep class operating on, you know, or operating in harmony mm-hmm. um, and with the campus and with ourselves. Um, like, I just, you know, it's that, that those are my sort of two reactions was like, I, I actually think that sometimes domestic labor gets metaphorized in academia um, as that kind of like operational, like administrative drudgery that there's, that seems to proliferate. Um, and, uh, I think that aspect of like emotional labor of, but don't you is, think it is, 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 is both present and not new, but I think what makes that metaphor like hold, right. Is precisely that it's unpaid, right. Presumably as an academic, the thing you're getting paid for is not your service to the department. That's why it's called service, right? You get the thing you get paid for is like be a smart person who makes publications and then like teaches classes and helps kids like get a degree so they can get a job. Okay. Right. And so like, and that speaks to the like pervasive sort of class, you know, uh, sort of like struggle, right. Between, it, um, the people who work in the departments and the, the faculty in the departments, right. right. That there's like that dynamic. I right. don't know. I'm just riffing. I mean, I definitely, so like I, I actually had almost this exact conversation with one of my classes this semester. Um, I'm teaching the senior capstone class where I'm teaching us like theories of work and labor. And so we read, uh, we read some wages for housework documents and we read, um, Lise Vogel's domestic labor revisited article. And like my students got into a conversation about like, what is all the like reproduct social reproduction and reproductive labor that they do on campus and how that's like not mm-hmm. just unpaid, but like they are actively paying to do it in a lot of ways. And then like one mm-hmm. of my students asked me, like, John, to what extent do you think about what you're doing as reproductive labor or as social reproduction? Right. And like that was a very real question because I've had a lot of conversations with colleagues as of late, like about the emotional labor that one does for their students. Right. Um, and particularly the way that like that emotional labor, the burden for the expectation for it falls so disproportionately on faculty who are women and particularly faculty who are women of color um, to do that on campus. Right. So there's like that kind of multi-level or multi-layered uh, like levels of you know, domestic work and reproduction inside um, academia. But then like on top of that, um, you know, there's like the ambivalence of it all in certain ways, like the ambivalence. And this is, I think, again, this is like so clearly something that matters to me about what Jarrett's doing is that like, yes, I am like definitely not paid, you know, to do like emotional labor for my students and to like have an hour long conversation with them where they cry and I try to like support and listen. Right. And yet, yeah. and like that is essentially free labor for the university. Right. Because it means they're not going to provide they're not providing enough counseling services, like whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, like that is a that is an affectively and subjectively enriching enriching experience for myself at the same time that it is an that is uh, an, an expropriation of my surplus value. Right. 
And in fact, John, I would imagine that like you, you would not, and maybe you, or I don't know if you resent it at all, but like you would maybe resent that element of your work time less if there were fewer like intensely competing demands on you as a professor to also, right, do service to the department, produce published articles, like, et cetera, et cetera. Like, actually, I don't know that we would, it's the conditions under which we are expected to perform that kind of um, emotional labor that make it feel so, like, right, that make it feel so onerous. Right. It's the all the timeness of Mm -hmm. it, right? Precisely. You don't get to clock out. Which was like so ironic to experience and think about as I'm talking with my students about like ideas about post and anti work mm-hmm. and to be like, you know, and yeah, I stayed up until 11 last night grading and answering emails, you know, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And like then I got up at six or, you know, and did the same thing. Yeah. Um, so it's just, you know, the like starkness of how academia like puts to use the like ideals of the life of the mind or whatever bullshit. Um, and I'm saying, I'm saying nothing yeah. new. Right. But just to like, that's been very, very like close to me and something that's very been very present in my life and in like my, you know, my professional academic life, which is also my life, which is a problem. Right. Hmm. I have a cat, so. I'm fine. <laughs> But if you ever uh, uploaded a picture of I meant that to sound like media. more lighthearted. <laughs> oh yeah, Instagram, no, not Facebook. Face, no. Facebook owns Instagram, so you know, same difference. I know, <laughs> same, same. Different affective engagement with the scroll, yes. though. I'm less nervous when I scroll through Instagram than when I scroll through Facebook. Yes. Oh, I'm sure that'll. I'm sure that'll change. Yeah, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. <laughs> <laughs> the eternal return. <laughs> womp, womp. Well, should we not have talked about academia? Is that Why not? I don't know. We're just ripping, man. <laughs> just but ripping, again, it man. speaks to the the kind of like the, the perspective reach of Jarrett's theoretical framework and the analysis that she's carrying out, right. That it's like, this is also a critical diagnosis of very real elements of academic labor. Right. I will, I'll tell you guys this also. So for you listeners uh, on your devices, I part of only part of the work that I do involves teaching and another part of the work involves consulting um, and in my consulting practice, where I often am working one-on-one with people who have particular roles in nonprofit uh, institutions, I have one client where I have been with them for a long time, and I refer to myself at this point as her emotional support animal. Mm. Like, my job is just to, like, be there and kind of absorb all of the discharge of her, like, frustration and anger and irritation at the, like, dysfunction of the place and to find some way of, like soothing that packaging it and giving it back to her as like, and then here's what you're going to tell your committee instead of that, you know, and that is by far my most draining and least rewarding client right now. There are clients that pay me less. There are clients that have like more, you know, there are more complications on how they're going to raise money. There are more, there are some harder strategic questions to answer some of my clients, but like the, the fact that they are not as effectively demanding and they don't require me to absorb as much like, 
as much negativity, uh, they are my, that, that is where I want to be. Yeah. This is, I mean, the, the immaterial becomes material at a certain point. Right. Ah, it sure does. Well, music cue for this is going to be Lauren Hill's Everything is Everything. <laughs> we have to get the rights to it, though. Copyright, Copyright something, something, something. Okay, mom. <laughs> Emily, did you want to say something about uh, the politics of resistance to kind of start to move towards closing us out? Yeah, let's do it. What happened? Uh, John said, do you want to talk about the politics of resistance? Oh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I had to let the cat out of the room. <laughs> uh, Ripley always debating so here um, Yeah, I mean, I just had the question of, you know, since in Chapter 5 where um, the kind of example of this as analysis is uh, centered there's a moment in the end when Jarrett talks about it as radical. And I thought it'd be fun to sort of talk about um, what the sort of politics of resistance or what the radical politics of the digital housewife are. So that's a question. What, what are they? Well, okay. So maybe to uh, avoid actually answering that question, I'll read something from the conclusion. <laughs> um, so this is like, I don't know, maybe a couple pages before the end of the book um, at the start of the back to the digital housewife uh, section uh, being emblematic of the social factory consumer labor and digital media captures in its remit, the premise that all of life is saturated by mechanisms that support capitalism, either on the production of economically valuable data or of individual subjectivities. At the same time, it also offers insight into how these practices offer resistance in value beyond capitalist critique. Hmm. I mean... Resistance in value beyond capitalist critique? Yeah. I mean, I think that part of it is pointing out the simple fact that, like, to resist capitalism, one must also have a feminist politics. Like I think kind of, you know, like a right. kind of initial yeah. level, yeah. right. That's like a, you know, that's a, 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 a yeah, that's politics. like a condition yes. of possibility for an anti-capitalist politics. Mm. I'm just going to say it. I think that Jarrett, our, our sole sibling, um, has the same struggle that you and yeah. I had, John. That's a great point. Um, around which, and that like pretty much any project like this is going to have, which is, it is, it is already a tremendous effort to like knit together and to update, to upgrade, if you will, <laughs> um, the, um, you know, analyses of, you know, two or three, political economy generations past, um, into the present moment. And then once you get to the part where you're like, and then what you're kind of like, you know, and now this thing could happen. Like, you know, and like, 
all right, if she's if, if we're all kind of floundering, it's probably because the text is floundering and because any text attempting to do this kind of work is going to flounder. And that's what the next book is for. Hmm. Yeah, but I, I mean, she claims that discussing her Facebook exchange with the, that lens is a radical act. Right. And so I think yeah, I didn't that, like, buy that. <laughs> so I think that there is like, <clears throat> I think that's a, that's an analytical act. Mm. I think that's like a, you know, an analytical act <clears throat> from a, from a base of, you know, radical, politi- radical critique. Right. But right. I don't, so think, it's I don't sort of- think in itself is so radically disruptive. Cause I feel like we make those kind of, <clears throat> those kinds of remarks and analyses all the time, just in these kind of like but it's passing more ways. For her, if I'm reading her towards like the end of chapter five, that it's, it's like the form of, you know, the, of the ballad of, uh, of Kylie and Seamus is more important or is more emblematic than like the actual, like we made an Engels cat meme. Right. It's like, I'm thinking about the way she's engaging with Federici um, in the end of the reproducing the phatic subject section. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. she's like thinking through what does it mean to like, is, to use her words, uh, this is the autonomous energy that can be the source of alternative politics and provide the impacts for further struggle, which is not about particularly the ballad of Kylie and Seamus, although she will say that that is also part of the ballad of Kylie and Seamus, but she's talking about kind of these processes that, as she says, um, still has an inherent duality intention in end quote in relationship to reproductive labor. Right. And that like the labor that is a use value um, that does not 100% become an exchange value also has this kind of radical potential. And then like the two other places where like, she seems to me to be going is like, if we rethink a Marxist notion of the general intellect and, or a like heart and negri notion Mm -hmm. of the multitude, but from the standpoint of Marxist feminism, that's like another point place to what she is pointing. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of like the <clears throat> the sort of troubling of the idea that something is either alienating or empowering also. Mm-hmm. Sure, there's a lot of really cool big moves that she makes in here, but that don't constitute radical politics. That's true. Right. Yes, I think that's okay. absolutely. Fine. <laughs> I'm sold. But- Sold and also we're both yeah. super tired. I think we just hit the wall. All right. Yeah. Uh, I was also making a joke. I got. When I, I got sold. you, Emily. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I, I didn't get it. I mean, so dudes. I, sorry, I didn't get it. Sorry. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so I just I discovered uh, that, out, I discovered <laughs> that one of my students, their Twitter name is Use Dudes. Yes. What? <laughs> Separate, I believe, separate and independent. It was not a reference (laughs) to me. (laughs) Separate. Emily, what isn't a reference to you? That's an important question. Um, Yeah. 
It wasn't not a reference I, to me. I mean, I don't, I don't know if my student <laughs> listens to the podcast, in which case, hi, I'm not going to say your name, student, but uh, we love your uh, Twitter handle. Can yeah. we talk about your student's paper title and and Mark's uh, Hold My Beer? Yeah. Wow. Extra you know special shout you know out what? to In the spirit of this text, I will say, go to at always already on or at John McMahon to find out what Amy is talking about. Those are your Twitter <laughs> handles. Yes. Just to yes. clarify for everyone at, at tweet face interface. <laughs> www dot. <laughs> wait, dot wait, at you the HTTP colon. Is it a forward slash or backward slash? <laughs> I think it's a backslash. Well, nope, forward slash. Backslash my eyes at this point. <laughs> forward slash, forward slash, backslash. Wow. Right. You guys, we did hey, good. Hey, this thank is you so for good. Joining us. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Oh. As always, oh. already. Mm. <laughs> Great. That was good. Um,. I'm really glad we read this, and John, I'm really excited that now I can actually. This this was very energizing for the Alexa paper. I totally to concur with that. This is a good All sequence. Right. Um, thank you, listeners, for following us on this journey. Us and the digital housewife. Indeed, we really took it. We really took it to some places. <laughs> we really took it to some we places. went there. We went to all the places. <laughs> Cool. Thanks for all of your affective labor and reproducing. Seriously. The Always Already podcast. If you this episode, share it on all your social media. <laughs> like it. Like okay. it. From as many Heart different it. pages as you manage. Please send us as many tribute memes as you yeah. desire. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. My milkshake brings out the boys to the yard and they're like, it's better than yours. Damn right. It's better than yours. I could teach you, but I have to charge. Now you don't need the rights. You got it. Boom. Marks is not Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a boss. Uh, the person who does the Marxist analysis of Khalees is the person we'll talk about next on what? the Always Ready podcast. Yep. Uh, yep. Yep. Um, Bossy, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe it's got to listen. I'm really busy with my Beyonce birth of tragedy and conscious pariah pitch <laughs> that I have to finish. Oh, oh, yeah, I got a sneak preview wow. of the pitch, uh, last week. So I'm into it. No, what he, what John got was a series of texts that he told me I needed to turn into a pitch. <laughs> same, same difference. Oh, that's not yeah, not yeah. a sweet sneak All right, boom. Pitch. <laughs> yeah, nice. All right, I see what you did there. I see, I see what you did. Very there. nice. Very nice. All right, I'm gonna, I gotta go home. To go home. <laughs> All right, bye, audience. Love you so much. Bye. Thank you. Oh wait, don't do that. Okay. What do, Emily, do it. No, we're just we'll just stop talking for a second. Emily, you have a catchphrase that you have to give our audience. Oh yeah, um, and ho- have an always already day. Thank you.
you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of the Always Ready Podcast. It is brought to you by Emily Crandall, Rachel Brown, James Pelloni Jr., John McMahon, and me, Altman. Visit our website, alwaysreadypodcast.wordpress.com. Email us, text you'd like us to discuss, advice, questions to answer, and dreams to analyze to alwaysreadypodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at alwaysreadyon. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our RSS feed, and leave us a good review, hopefully, in the uh, podcast consumption tool of your choice. We have some exciting news, and that is that we have joined the network of Critical Mediations, a network of transformative media. Um, we're really excited about this collaboration. Um, for now, it'll be mostly that uh, our episodes will be cross-posted on their SoundCloud um, in hopes for kind of greater collaborations down the line. You can find out more about Critical Mediations at critmediations.com or at critmediations on Twitter, and you will uh, be seeing us uh, link to all sorts of things there. Can support this podcast. We're currently um, trying to raise some funds to get transcripts of episodes. This has been a listener request, and we'd like to uh, make that happen and fulfill that. You can do that at patreon.com slash alwaysreadypodcast and just fully integrate us into networks and circuits of capital. We'd like to thank our current patrons on Patreon and the Always Already Circle of Trust. We'd like to thank Matt, Diane, Ariel, Kristen, Catherine, and Matthew. In the Tumblr BFF tier, we'd like to thank Alex. In the Friend of the Podcast tier, we'd like to thank Theory Talk, Eleanor, Daniel Hardy, and Rachel. And in the uh, No Reward But Still Supporting Us context, we'd like to thank Bunny and Joe. Thank you, as always, to Bad Infinity, whose music you should definitely check out for the intro music. Today you heard Desiring Machines. And thank you, of course, to B for their cover of Landslide here at the end. We're hoping to bring you an episode uh, sometime in the coming weeks. Um, We have a potential interview uh, lined up, and we also uh, have uh, some uh, patron requests for text that we'll uh, be trying to take care of and discuss here uh, in the next month or two. Until then, though, have an always ready day. It's funny. Nobody bites like Crandall. <laughs> I have sharp teeth. Mm. Does she? Well, I had an overbite that wasn't ever rockingly corrected <laughs> with braces, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, that's a direction you could take that. <laughs> Ripley is like so pissed right now. Uh, so what, what, watch this. What are we leaning into and over in today's episode, friends? No, it's just, it's the subtitle. It's the subtitle, John. Feminism, labor spelled the British way and digital media, the digital household. I'm cutting all of this out and we're gonna, and we're gonna go with again. Uh, not in that Dropbox file that I have from you. Hold on a second. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. I'm getting it.